NWP Radio. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. Okay, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Right Time. It's our one-of-a-kind location where the National Writing Project educators are given opportunities to interview the writers that they admire. So guess what? Today's show is more than just another episode. It's a belated birthday present to me. I turned 49 last Tuesday, and I thought to myself, what would be better than having no other than the rooster, Kwame Alexander, as a guest on The Right Time? His name is Kwame Alexander, man. His name is Kwame Alexander, man. There's a million things he's going to write. Just you wait, just you wait. I stole that. All right. Ah, the great whatever did its magic. And once again, lo and behold, my co-host Tanya recruited a teacher for this month's interview. And guess what? It turns out that Tyler Jones not only teaches at the corner of First and Muhammad Ali in Louisville, Kentucky, he also teaches at the very school where I taught for over 10 years. Brown School, Louisville. I'm beyond proud knowing that today we are bringing this show to our national audience. Tanya, this is kind of unbelievable, right? This is unbelievable, Brian. I feel like I feel so honored to be doing this and it's February, the month of love and I love Kwame and his work and Tyler, who's an amazing teacher and the opportunity every month, Brian, to work with you with great teachers and authors. And this is going to be a delight. So we should move it along and you should tell listeners all about Kwame. Excellent. So um, I've gone from Louisville to Connecticut and this week I can't wait to celebrate becoming Muhammad Ali with several students who are going to be attending the MLK Youth Leadership Academy at Fairfield University as well as Lee Savoy's fifth grade class and I am thrilled to introduce one of my favorite writers of all time. Kwame Alexander is a poet, educator, and the New York Times bestseller author of 35 books including the Caldecott Medal and Newbery Honor winning picture book The Undefeated. Illustrated by Kadir Nelson, the Newbery medal-winning novel, The Crossover, booked a National Book Award nominee, and the novel Becoming Muhammad Ali, which is co-authored with James Patterson. He's just also an incredible human being, mentor, and friend who keeps me dreaming of saying yes on a daily basis. Kwame is a regular contributor to NPR's Morning Edition and the recipient of numerous awards and honors, including the Coretta Scott King Author Honor, two Lee Bennett Hopkins Poetry Prizes, three NAACP Image Award nominations, the 2017 inaugural Pat Conroy Legacy Award. Kwame's belief is in the power of poetry and literature to inspire, engage, and empower young people and is the guiding force behind the kid-lit Black Lives rallies that he, Hewton Mifflin, Harcourt Books for Young Readers, whose mission to change the world one word at a time. He's led a cultural exchange um, to several locations, delegations to Brazil, Italy, Singapore, and Ghana, where he built the Barbara E. Alexander Memorial Library and Health Clinic as part of Leap for Ghana, an international literacy program he co-founded. Currently, he lives in the UK, where he is the writer in residence at the American School in London. Whew. I think I just undersold this guy. I mean, he's more amazing than I could ever, ever articulate. Um, so I'm thrilled to know that Tyler House, or Tyler, Tyler Jones is in the house. <laughs> My house in the middle of the street. All right, Tyler, I'm handing it over to you. No, I'm not, not yet. I'd Tanya. like to introduce no, Tyler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think um, it's true, Brian, it would be hard to write an introduction that would do Kwame justice. And we could stop by... We could also add that he's just a, the most warm and generous 
and loving person. And we've been so thrilled to be able to have a relationship with him at the writing project. So thank you for everything, Kwame. And I feel much the same way about Tyler Jones. Tyler, for 12 years, has been striving to influence the lives of his students. He's mostly taught fifth grade for Jefferson County Public Schools in Louisville, Kentucky. The National Writing Project, C3WP, Louisville Writing Project, and MICFA Challenge are some of the organizations and projects that Tyler has been working with lately while going back to school to get an endorsement in teaching gifted and talented students. Education is very important to Tyler and he holds a master's degree in elementary education from the University of Louisville, uh, a BA in history and social studies from Western Kentucky University and a BS in and accounting information systems from Virginia Tech University. That is all true. And it's also true that Tyler is an amazing force for goodness and for uh, helping kids find their voice in fifth grade. And I think Tyler and Kwame are perfect match to talk about Kwame's new book. So I now will turn it over to Tyler, who will start by giving us a writing invitation for us to think about during tonight's episode. Absolutely, it's an honor. And, and I just think it's just hilarious that we're both Hokies. I would love to hear that story someday, but I understand that, that we yep. have some time. <laughs> we are, but, but you know what? Nobody calls a Virginia Tech University. Who wrote that in the bio? <laughs> Ah, no, I, I was trying to be professional. <laughs> I, Virginia Polytechnic Institute, right? What you, really you, spent a, you spent a lot of time in Pamplin Hall? Yeah, man. Yeah. That <laughs> business, baby. Oh, my gosh. Yes. So those were the days. Those were the days. So mantras, words you say to yourself constantly for a multitude of reasons and outcomes. I'm the greatest or my face is too pretty to get, hit, get it hit. Great Eddie Herman's. Uh, know who you are and who you are and where you came from are some. What are some of your mantras? How do your books facilitate the journey for kids to recognize theirs or create or find theirs? How should teachers guide students to find ones that mesh and hold their identity? If you would like to pause here on the show right now and write yourself some answers to this, um, we are going to do the same. Right, we're gonna now, leave you guys to the interview. My screen. Right, that's that's awesome. what I need to do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and you, Brian and I will disappear, and Tyler and okay. Tommy enjoy your conversation. Awesome, awesome. I want to uh, just say how awesome it is to to be lucky enough to have the time to talk to you, and how cool it is the story I just read about you that you showed up at a boys' bar mitzvah to read yeah. some of your work. Yeah, man. He, his dad posted on Twitter that he was going to read a poem from my book, Rebound, at his bar mitzvah in honor of his granddad. Wow. And I was like, well, this is pretty cool. It's, it's, I'm in, I live in London, and the kid's in London. So, you know, back when the world was open, I would show up to schools and surprise kids who had written me really cool letters. <sighs> and with the lockdown... I do a lot of walking in London just for exercise and, you know, to be able to get out. So I thought, well, why not walk to this kid's house? It's a two hour walk, um, seven mile walk. And I was like, why not? So I, I texted the dad back and he was like, come, come on, let's do it. Are you serious? Yeah. I was like, yeah. So I did it. And the kid was, he was blown away. Was so uh, yeah. Fun. That is awesome, man. That is so cool. So, so, uh, 
get into your book on becoming um, uh, becoming Muhammad Ali. Uh, Ali's well known. There's many stories circulated about him. We've heard many of his mantras and clever sayings. Dare yep. I call them rap, right? And I think ESPN created a documentary that actually said like Ali rap or something. I believe back in the day, I, I, I watched it. But so, how much research was involved in creating the book? Right. How did you approach um, this book to make the unique flair that it does have? And yeah. then lastly, uh, could you walk us through the process? Like, where would you start? Where did you start? First of all, that's like a lot of questions. I'm not gonna remember all those questions. I got you, man. Where did you try. start? <laughs> I still try. There you go. Um, James Patterson called me out the blue um, about two and a half years ago. And he was like, do you wanna write this book on Ali with me? And, uh, you know, I thought about it. And when I was 12 years old, my dad had made me read his college dissertations and I'd fallen out of love with reading and I didn't think it was fun anymore. And I. I discovered a, the autobiography of Muhammad Ali called The Greatest, and I couldn't put it down. And I loved it, and it sort of rekindled my love with books. So when Patterson called me and said, do you wanna write this book on Ali with me? He reminded me, he like gave me that story verbatim. He had heard me give it in a speech. I was like, oh, this is interesting. He knows my history with, with Ali. And so, and then he told me what his, his, his approach was gonna be. He said the same thing you just said. We all know about Ali as a heavyweight champion, but we don't know about his life as a kid. We don't know a lot about how he became the greatest. So he said, we're gonna write about his childhood. And I was hooked. I was like, let's do it. And uh, I flew to Louisville. I went to the pink house on Grand Avenue in the West End where Ali was raised and the house where he grew up in. And the house is now a museum, but it was closed that day. So I just started peeking in the windows and <laughs> I saw the furniture that's still there. I went in the backyard and peeked in the back door and saw a poem on the wall he had written and just walked around the neighborhood, met some of his neighbors. Then I went to the Brown Hotel. Well, no, I went to Chickasaw Park, walked <laughs> around there. Then I went to the Brown Hotel and stayed in the Muhammad Ali suite, slept in Ali's bed, took a bath in his tub, <laughs> just tried to immerse myself <laughs> in all things Ali. And, and then his wife, Lonnie, gave me access to some oral history tapes of, of some of Ali's friends when he was a kid. Oh, cool. And man, it's just so many cool stories. So, so it was a combination of immersing myself in, in Cassius Clay's life in the city of Louisville and listening to those tapes and, and doing a lot of reading. Man, those tapes must have been a, an amazing rabbit hole to, to jump into, right? No, I mean, the stories, like, these, old, these old black men in their 70s and 80s telling these stories about being friends and kids with Ali back in the day. And you know, they, they told us one story about, you know, stuff you're never gonna get unless huh? you, unless you get it firsthand sources because nobody's written about it. And so they're talking about playing hockey in the street with a tennis ball, talking about, you know, tennis ball going down a storm drain and mm -hmm. down to get it and, and the storm drain blows up in his face. And they're just telling all these stories about girls and bullies and, and digging, Ali digging some kids out of snow with his snow with his boots 
and running in Chickasaw Park with garbage bags on, like just cool stuff as a 10, 11, 12, 13 year old. And so that's when I knew this is gonna be a book that nobody um, will have you know, documented and written about these things before. So this is gonna be unique in that way. And that was exciting to me. Man, I, I had a, a I totally get you. I love where you said, um, you know, stuff you're never going to get unless you get it from the source, right? So going and finding that is so mining for those stories, right? I had a second question, but um, really, uh, the the bond between Lucky and Cassius, because you kind of bring that up, right? It, it made me really think back to my childhood, right? And like kicking in on the on the basketball courts and and just getting to know people. So I guess what I'm going to jump to this one and just ask you, like, how much do you draw from your own personal experiences and how do those come out in your writing? Like, because, you know, you talked about Ali. So what about you? And, and then using yours with the yeah, Ali. Yeah. When I'm writing about kids, you know, when I'm writing about young, young men, uh, if, you know, in most of my novels, it's, it's made up, it's fiction. This was historical fiction. So there's some truth to it but I'm still trying to put myself in the shoes of these characters. What would I have done? What was I like? What was life like for a 12 year old, you know, for an 11 year old, for a kid? So, I mean, that's the first entry point for me as a writer is to put myself in that situation. How would I have thought? How would a tween or a teen boy would have, uh, how would he have thought? Of course, with the Ali book, you know, you're talking about a period piece set in the fifties primarily. Mm -hmm. um, and so you're dealing with, you know, I, I was born in 68. So you, you're dealing with, you know, some of the, you know, uh, Cassius going to, to, uh, to Fontaine Park, Fontaine Ferry Park, and not being able to get in because um, Black kids weren't allowed. You know, I didn't have to face that, but certainly I faced racism. So now I've got to think, well, how did I internalize that racism? Or how did I deal with it? Or how did I face it? And, and then looking at someone like Ali, who was confident, you know, and I'm pretty confident. He was good with, he was good with words, you know, I'm pretty good with words. Um, so then I can sort of take a leap and say, well, we have some similar characteristics. Well, this is how I would have handled being in Fontaine Park at the fences and not being able to get in and staring at all these white kids having fun. Well, well, this is how I would have handled it. So I got to take a little bit of license and bring myself into it. And that's how I would have done it. But using your own personal experiences, but mixing those from what you gathered, which was crazy because me being from Louisville and hearing those words, you know, the white park, the black park, and just, it was so fascinating. I, I right. loved that part of it. And I also love how you incorporated Granddaddy Herman, man. He kicks so much knowledge to Ali in the in the little time that he's in the book, right? And and right. to me, it reminded me of Chuck Bell's uh, grandfather from Rebound. Oh snap! <laughs> yeah, man. You made so, that connection. <laughs> and so I was gonna ask you, did you make that connection when you were writing? Because it just to me seems so relevant and out there for me. Dude, you're right. I didn't make that connection. But I think that, you know, black grandfathers, mm -hmm. you know, they're they're all a part of. They're, they're in a continuum. Like they all, they're like they're like in this club, you know, like wise, funny, 
Like, but, but still they don't joke, they don't mess around. Like if they say something, they mean it. And, and grumpy sometimes, you know, and loving and caring, can do anything, can build anything, um, and ornery, you know? So yeah, I, I definitely see the connection. And even with my <laughs> own grandfather, um, my own grandfather was really the basis for Chuck's grandfather. Oh, okay. So, so that did come from there, but you're right. I can see that connection now that you bring it up. Yeah, it's like the you know time travel machine to go back and just spend more time, hear those stories. Because when we're younger, we don't want to listen to it. We're like, ah, oh, man, you know, whatever. So we're fighting that, but it's like the wisdom they're kicking. What they got going on, they're the OGs for us. So it's like, okay. And now that we, you get to write about that. So I think that's amazing because yeah. now kids are reading your books, right? And they're getting that knowledge that your grandpa gave you. Right. So it's, it's like, uh, it's, you know, it's almost, you know, just passing it along down the line. Passing it along down the line. You think about so, it. That's um, did you gain any, um, did you gain any specific wisdom from becoming Ali or what wisdom did you hope kids would gain from? Oh yeah. Speaking about that wisdom, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. My favorite quote. Yeah. I am the greatest, not because I am better than anyone, but because no one is better than me. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, I carry that with me, man. I believe that all my life, but I was never able to articulate it until I started researching and writing the Ali book. Um, like you can be great. You can be arrogant in your greatness, but not arrogant in a way that I'm saying, Tyler, you aren't the man. Mm -hmm. No, you can be the man too but I'm the man. So I'm the man, but it has nothing to do with me saying you aren't the man. We both can be the man. We got to believe in ourselves, mm -hmm. you know? And yeah, so, yeah. so that was one of the, the biggest things that I was reminded of working on the Ali book. Okay, okay. And then passing that on to children, like y'all are in a situation where you can be the man and people are going to try to beat you down and they're going to get mad if you think you are the man. Right, but but that's got nothing to do with you. That's their problem. Not that's their problem. Right? That, Never let anyone lower your goals. Always mm -hmm. shoot for the sun, and you will uh -huh. shine. And 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 passing on that confidence like makes me think of Ali. I think he just personified. I'm I'm here. I'm pretty. I'm gonna speak my mind. And it makes me think about your poem in the book, the two Louisvilles, which in many ways parallels the two Americas, and. Uh, with that noted, what are your perceptions of Louisville and your experiences here? Just because I got to ask the Louisville question real quick. You know, I got the Kentucky shirt on, but I'm in Louisville. <laughs> yeah, Louisville now. Yeah, like now, like yeah. Well, you've been to Louisville, so you know, like it, obviously, you walked around the city. You tried to get into yeah. the shoes. What what vibe did you get from that? You know, and 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 the crazy part, I guess, my second question following that is, you were here pre Brianna, you know, Brianna Taylor, and so. Yeah. My next question is going to bring that up. So it's kind of just really cool that you started this because yes. so much of that book couple, really talked about it. I, I went as sort of this privileged writer, this, mm -hmm. this, this guy who was there to research. And and a time before that, I was, I was there to speak at Spalding, you know, mm -hmm. giving a keynote speech at Spalding. Um, back in the 90s, I was there for a book festival. Um, so I've always approached it. I've come to Louisville as a writer, um, a privileged writer, as it were. And at this, 
and at this, so you know, I'm eating the the, the turkey open face sandwich. What's that joint? The hot brown. <laughs> yeah, the hot brown. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. Eating, I'm eating that and enjoying that and, and interacting with writers. And so you got that thing. And then I walk, I walk around like I, I remember walking to the to the old Columbia gym, which I guess is the YMCA or is is a building on the campus of Spalding now. Mm-hmm. But I remember just walking around the town and feeling like it's in some sort of time capsule. Like it's like it's like it's 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 2020, but there's like this this feeling that it's still 1950s, 1960s. I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. I didn't necessarily encounter it because I was there in short periods of time, but as evidence sort of by what's happening all around the United States, mm-hmm. you know, the further we've come, the more we still we still we still got a long way to go. And maybe that's just what it was. It was just more of that in Louisville. Right, but, uh, right. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, it's a crazy thing for me because I didn't grow up in Louisville either. I actually grew up in Northern Virginia. And I came here and it's like, you hear stories and I think like, you know, it's per- so redlined, Louisville was. So I think that's why you get that idea of the time capsule. And yeah. and I to follow that is like, so so where we're on the social justice movements, everything that happened this summer, they just blew up in America's face that had been happening for 400 years, which right. some of us already knew it, you know, but good thing now is front and center. What advice do you have for teachers like me in advocating and advocating for more just world, you know, just more justice in this world? What do you, what do you, you know, what advice do you have now? Well, I think, I think, wow, well, I think we, I think if you're an advocate, then you can speak out about injustice. Mm-hmm. You can say something. You cannot be silent. You can speak up, you can lift your voice. Whether it's in the classroom, you know, at the school board meeting, um, in your interactions with, 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 with students who, you, who we traditionally view as other. Mm-hmm or we attribute deficit language like marginalized to and realize that they are just kids, that they are, that they matter just like everyone, that they, everyone else, that they breathe, laugh, love, dance, walk, just like every other kid, that they are not other and they should not be treated as other. Um, I think that's great. I think if you wanna be an ally, then you gotta do something. Then you gotta be willing to sacrifice. You gotta be willing to do what black people have been doing, you know, since they came to this country. And that is to assure that their lives matter. That 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 everyone recognizes and acknowledges that and acts accordingly. Mm-hmm. You know. And that requires us to be to be human beings in a way that is is twenty four seven, and that's hard. It's hard. I saw white people doing it during the summer. I saw white people, you know, sort of taking a, a an active role in in the Black Lives Matter movement in a way that I've never seen in my life, and that was incredible. Um, and that has to be a lifestyle, not a movement. It has to be something that you do, you know? So if you're an advocate, say something. If you're an ally, do something. 
So. You have to be about the business of making this world a better place on a regular basis. Yeah. Totally. And, and, and transferring that to kids, right? Giving them a voice, letting them figure out that their life matters, like you said earlier, and then showing them, especially even through reading or poetry, right, that, that they can express themselves and that they have a right to. I think for me, it's like some of my students, for whatever reason, you know, they're in that block of not enjoying reading or whatever. And to me, I think the biggest key I can do, one of the things I can do to help them is introducing them to great books like yours and other authors out there that show people doing things that are great showing, you know, being doors and windows, right? You know, opening it up for killers. And, and I think that is, is pretty awesome. So, so thank you. Um, a question about the dual authorship. To me, it seems like it could be creative challenge, but also have some amazing benefits. And so could you tell us about what it was like to work with James Patterson? And, and as a reader, I assume you wrote the, um, that he wrote, that you wrote the verse and he wrote the prose. Uh, could you walk me through that? How did that process it was the other, other way around. My bad, I read that wrong, yeah. He, no, he wrote the poetry, I wrote the prose. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I love collaborating, man. Mm -hmm. you know, I love working with other authors and, and working on things. I, I'm, I'm very inspired by that. But with this particular process, he, um, he outlined, once we knew it was gonna be about Cassius Clay and his childhood, mm -hmm. James Patterson is a master storyteller. So he plotted, he outlined, you know, the entire story, beginning, middle, and end. Sort of the, the, the basics of what was gonna take place. And, and, then, uh, and then it was sort of up to me to find Ali's voice and to fill in some of the basic elements of his life with a story, with a narrative. Um, and so, Jim would write the first chapter, Lucky's chapter in prose. Mm -hmm. He sent it to me, and then I'd write Ali's chapter in verse. And then we just went back and forth. Crazy. And so then, you had the outline, and so you knew what to like, just what was coming next. So you had you got to fit his life story in between those chapters. Right. Right. And so, and so there were a couple times where there was one time in particular where I think Jim had sent me a chapter and it wasn't working for me. Mm -hmm. um, and I sent him a note saying, this isn't working for me. You might want to consider doing this. Now, I don't know if you know, Tyler, but James Patterson is the world's best-selling author. <laughs> he sells hundreds of millions of books. So he sent me a note back and it said, dear Kwame, I would, I would never consider telling you how to write a poem. Sincerely, Jim. Oh no, man! <laughs> and then, and then he made the change, though. Oh, he made the change, and that let me know. This is why I, I like I ride with this cat. Yeah, he, he understood that the kids were more important than him. Like what we give the kids. Mm -hmm. This work that we do as children's book authors and creators is sacred work. We're helping kids imagine and understand the world. Yeah, and yeah. so he understood that and he gave way to that. And I, I've always appreciated that. But yeah, he called me on that. 
<laughs> Check yourself, man. But I'm gonna still do it anyway. Right, 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 that's right. Not, but that goes back to you too, though, man. Nobody's better than me, right? And I'm better than nobody. So that, right. that that's that's kind of like I mean, you got dig down, dig down. I mean, like that's like you said, Patterson, <laughs> best-selling author, all the crazy sort of things. Sending right. you that, like, wait a second, though. And you still check, and you still wrote back more than once. Good for you, man. Exactly. <laughs> so, and, and uh, along that line, kind of how how different was it to write about the world uh, world icon, right? Versus creating a Sawyer novel about fictional characters. Like, was there a big difference? Was it? Well, you, you talked to me about. Yeah, go ahead. The novel I had written before Ali was Rebound, which mm-hmm. was set in the eighties. Yeah. So, which is kind of historical fiction. <laughs> So I had sort of been in that mode of writing, of going back in time and looking at a certain period of time. So I think that helped, but I found it to be easier to Mm -hmm. write historical fiction because there there are some uh, parameters, you know? Yeah. There's some parameters and, you know, it's like writing a poem that's a haiku. It's, it's three lines. Mm-hmm. It's five syllables in the first, seven in the second, five in the third. Like you have to stay in that parameter. So writing historical fiction is the same thing. It's you, you got to stay within what's factual. Mm-hmm. You know, um, like I, I couldn't say that uh, Cassius didn't have a dad. I couldn't say that his dad was a doctor. Like I had to say that he had a dad and his dad was a painter who painted signs. Mm -hmm. So that's real. So now I have that. So now I got to figure out what kind of signs did he paint? Mm -hmm. Now that can be up to me, but I also got to think what kind of shops, what kind of stores would have been in that community for him Mm -hmm. to paint the store signs. And what opportunities he would have had because you went into that. You talked about it when he comes home. He's like, boy, I would like to be doing such and such. However, this is where I am. So here's what I right. do. Huh. So I love it. I love it. In fact, I'm writing another historical novel now. Oh, that is so cool. And, and it seems like, you know, you watch a movie or whatever and you make up stuff along the side, right, that would have gone with it and you get to kind of be that creative force there. Right. Man, wow. And so th- that's gonna that brings me to some a question about the poem. So you got to write, you know, you he gave you the chapter, so then you end up writing the poems, right? So one of my favorite poems in it, there was many. I love that you did a where I'm from poem because being a writing uh, being a national writing project folk, I've heard Georgia Lyons speak before and I've been in conferences with her. So that was really cool, man. And um, but tragedy. It was one of my favorite poems that you wrote, just because I thought that um, it was outstanding tool for a classroom and asking kids to use it in, in, like as a year in review. Like, could you imagine writing a poem about 2020 mm-hmm. using tragedy as like the model? Tragedy, which poem was that? Remember I'm sorry, what that? Tra- tra- oh, I had the pages and took them out. Hold on, oh. let me see, dang it. Oh man. I'm looking forward to because I don't even Shoot. remember that. Oh, my bad. Yeah, let me see. Well, you tell me what it was this about. This is a producer voice. I think it's page 152. Okay, there we go. 152. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tragic. Oh, it's his bike getting stolen, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. His bike yeah. getting stolen. 
So, so he talks about oh, yeah. like, so you could do that about 2020. Imagine what we're right? saying about. Yeah. So I, I, I do. I went through this with so many lenses. I read it twice, you know, and then I actually did it for a project. I used it as a biblio mentor book, where where we just took kids that are like perfectionism, and then you know kids that are underrepresented in gifted programs, and look at this dude. Look how confident he was walking his shoes. That's deep. That's deep. <laughs> yeah. But so, yeah, twenty twenty or excuse me, tragedy twenty twenty. I just I really thought that was awesome. And then regiment, just where it shows you that all of his hard work is what paid off. Right. He, Muhammad Ali, wasn't, he wasn't magic, right? Cassius Clay, as young kids, I think, showing them all of his hard work was one of the best things he did. Yeah, yeah, because it makes him accessible. It makes him real. He's not just this heavyweight champion, this icon, this activist, this hero. He was a kid. He was a kid. That, that people were awful towards, right? He was a kid no. that got punked. Right, didn't, and, and then didn't do good in school. Right, right. Ran home to grab his report card out the mailbox. Right now, see, so so hold on, so that. But yeah, I don't I know if that. he did that. Who knows? He did man, in school. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> I don't know if he did it, but I know he had bad grades. Oh no, the parents are coming, man. <laughs> uh, let, me, let, me, let me jump in on that because, you know, I, I just started I'm doing professional development with teachers with the book right now. And yeah. we use uh, Mama Bird, the conversation yeah. all between Mama talking to uh, Cassius Clay, used it as a model with fifth grade kids in 20 minutes. I go into the school a week later with a mask on and everything. I go in there. Their whiteboards are loaded with scripts that they have written based on conversations that they've had with people in their lives, all because of that poem. And I was thinking, yeah. one of the things that I've always loved most about Kwame, and this is what I've written about it, I, I celebrate it everywhere I go, is that his style of writing is so usable for classroom teachers to model with kids and to motivate them for their own stories. And one thing that I want to just rift on that you all said, this was an amazing interview. The one thing we have in common here, all four of us, but the whole National Writing Project Network is that nobody matters more than kids. Mm. And James Patterson gets it. And that's what we're about. Oh, yeah. nobody... the, kids are, the kids are the curriculum. The kids are the curriculum. Exactly. And I think Tyler has a final writing prompt for us. I hate that the show has to end, but. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I so, can put it up on the screen too, Tyler. That would be great. I have it somewhere. <laughs> there we go. Uh, okay. Think. Oops. Uh, here we go. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So think about other poems that inspire you to dig deep, to reach into your soul and find that inner resilience that you can't hold me down this or mamba mentality, right? What advice, what, what sort of advice would you give young people on how to follow their dreams and stay determined and resilient on their path to becoming efficacious and self-actualized the way that Ali, the way that Kwame Alexander, the way that Langston Hughes have showed us? Okay, I'm gonna be writing on that tonight. <laughs> Brian, I usually let you get in a last word before I. Oh, I, I have no last word. All I can say is that, you know, I, I, I love Kwame Alexander ever since I first met him. Tyler, it is a pleasure to meet you. I'm so glad that you're representing Louisville and your Kentucky <laughs> shirt and the Brown School. Oh, man, this is beautiful. 
and you know, and thank you, Kwame, for for you know gracing us with some conversation tonight. It was amazing. When I saw his question about the grandfather, I I made the connection too, and I thought you were going to be on that, and I love that he stumped you. <laughs> yeah, this is very this is very enlightening for me. It's good to have this conversation. Thank you all so much. Absolutely, thank you, thank you sir. It's my job to end by thanking you as well, and I. Um, I, Brian and I always text while we listen and we were saying, oh, this is an amazing interview and a perfect pairing. And I reminded him that I did find Tyler because I knew it would be a perfect pairing and it was even more beautiful than I thought. So I wanna say thank you, Tyler, for doing the sacred work of teaching children in um, such a beautiful way. And I wanna say thank you, Kwame, for doing the sacred work of putting these texts out in the world for children to read and enjoy and see themselves in and imagine better and more beautiful futures. And so we're so thankful for everything you do and the work that you put out in the world. Thank you. You're welcome. Finally, I wanna thank listeners who are here and remind them that this show is um, hosted by the National Writing Project, that you can visit our website, uh, nwp.org, and you can sign up for our monthly newsletter to never miss a great Write Time show. You can also join our Facebook um, group or follow us on Instagram or Twitter. And we would love to see you in all the places. Thank you, everyone. And good night. NWP Radio. Thanks, You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. NWP Radio.